In this episode, I'd like to look at John chapter 10, verses 22 through 30 with you. And it's a great passage of scripture. It deals with Hanukkah. It deals with Jesus' confrontation, yet another confrontation with the Pharisees. It deals with the doctrine of eternal security, Christ's assertion to be uh, deity. Uh, deals with uh, the disciples, the shepherd's sheep analogy uh, and whatnot. So it's a great passage of scripture. Uh, just hold on. Here we go. Welcome to the Bible Professor Podcast Show. Here is your host, the Reverend Dr. Mal Winstead. So the first thing is to grab uh, a comment here about John's gospel. And it reads this way from the NIV application commentary. John's gospel is a summation of Christology. It tells us who Jesus was. It is the distinctive teaching of our faith. And the world has never needed it more than now. The gospel of John tells us the story. End quote. Yeah, that's good. In John 10, 22, at that time, the feast of the dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. First thing I want us to see is what I've circled on the screen here. This is an artist drawing the colonnaded porches that line the inner walls of the outside retaining walls. They line the inner walls of the temple courtyard of the Solomonic temple, the temple that uh, second temple, the one that Herod the Great had was in the process of refurbishing and had almost completed that. So Jesus is walking somewhere down in the colonnaded uh, area here. Back to John 22. It also says the Feast of Dedication. This was also called the Feast of Lights or Hanukkah. Okay, the Feast of Lights or Hanukkah or Feast of Dedication. Um, some called it the Feast of Tabern, a second Feast of Tabernacles, because lights were used to light up the night sky and in the streets of Jerusalem, temple courtyard. Lights were used to celebrate uh, the Feast of Tabernacles and also uh, came to be celebrated, uh, used to celebrate Hanukkah. The difference between the two feasts, well, there are two differences. Number one, Hanukkah could be celebrated in the homes, whereas Feast of Tabernacles uh, was a, a communal celebration uh, in the city. Uh, the second main difference is Tabernacles uh, or shelters was um, a feast of the Lord uh, commanded by God himself back in Leviticus chapter 23, the seven feasts of the Lord. The Jews later added the Feast of Purim uh, at the end of the book of Esther. And then in the times of the Maccabees, second century B.C., they added uh, this festival, uh, the Feast of the Dedication or Hanukkah. Jesus, being a Jew, uh, celebrated Hanukkah. And so this is why he was there. It's interesting also, though, that uh, as the menorah lit up the night sky during this eight-day celebration, uh, this is the context in which Jesus said in John 8, 12, John 9, 5, I think in 11, he says, I am the light of the world. He is uh, the light of the world. So let me sh uh, share with you the background, actually, of Hanukkah. It's found, uh, and you can read this online for free. It's in the book of 2 Maccabees, chapter 10. Then Maccabeus and those who were with him, the Lord leading them on, recovered the temple and the city. They pulled down the altars that had been built in the marketplace by the foreigners and also the sacred enclosures. Having cleansed the sanctuary, they made another altar of sacrifice, striking flint and starting a fire. They offered sacrifice after they had ceased for two years, burned incense, lit lamps, and set out showbread. When they had done these things, they fell prostrate and implored the Lord that they might fall no more into such evils, but that if they ever did sin, 
they might might be chastened by him with forbearance and not be delivered to blaspheming and barbarous heathen. Now, on the same day that sanctuary is profaned by foreigners, upon that very day it came to pass that sanctuary was cleansed, even on the 25th day of the same month, which is Kislev. They observed eight days with gladness in the manner of the Feast of Tabernacles, remembering how not long before, during the Feast of Tabernacles, they were wandering in the mountains and in the caves like wild animals, therefore carrying wands wreathed with leaves and beautiful branches and palm fronds. Also, they offered up hymns of, hymns of thanksgiving to him who had successfully brought to pass the cleansing of his own place. They ordained also with the public statute and decree for all the nation of the Jews that they should observe these days every year. Such were the events of the end of Antiochus, who was called Epiphanes. Okay, so uh, the Syrians had um, attacked the, uh, the city of Jerusalem in around 165 B.C. And two or three years later to the date, they came back through and the Jews uh, practiced guerrilla warfare. They were able to fight off, fend off their opponents. And so uh, they celebrated with an eight-day-long celebration, the Feast of Dedication or Rededicating the Temple because they had cleansed it from uh, the sacrifice of the sow by the uh, uh, by their enemies. And the enemies had forced the Jews even to eat pork. The Jews considered this, some of them considered this an abomination of desolation, okay, um, but they cleansed the temple. They rededicated it to Jehovah God. And so this is the feast of dedication. Jesus is here celebrating this in the temple. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. So that's what you have going on. That's the context here in John 10, 22 and 23. Now, additionally, we need to understand that John's gospel is actually built around, might be overstating the case, uh, is structured somewhat, at least, by the Jewish feasts. So this began back in chapter 5 when Jesus healed a lame man on the Sabbath. Jesus healed on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a celebration of the feast. Jesus got in hot water with the Jewish leaders. They wanted to know why he was doing this work on the Sabbath. And Jesus, of course, came to them with their own scripture and explained to them the context and the uh, argument from lesser to the greater. Look, uh, you all, you have an ox in the ditch on the Sabbath. You get it out, you know, so that it doesn't stay there and a, a dingo or coyote attacks it or somebody steals it or it breaks a leg or whatever. You get your ox out of the ditch. How much more should we attend to a human, you know, another human made in God's image? So. Yes, to help a man on the Sabbath, uh, one of your fellow mankind is not a uh, Sabbath-breaking sin. Then in chapter 6, uh, there's the Passover taking place, and Jesus uh, does the miraculous uh, feeding of the 5,000 plus, uh, and he teaches there. He is the life-giving bread, the manna that actually came down from heaven. He takes the Jews there in his lesson back to, to the Torah, to the Pentateuch. And then there's the celebration of shelters or tabernacles in chapter 7. In chapter 7, there's this, uh, what came to be associated with tabernacles was this water pouring ceremony, libation ceremony. Um, not only building the tabernacles, but uh, life-giving water, lights were lit. Uh, anyway, this procession of the priest helpers would go down the southern hill, the Ophel, the city of David, go down the southern steps to the pool of Siloam, the Gihon Spring, and they would take buckets of water 
And, uh, you know, there's this procession all day long for these days, taking water up into the temple courtyard on the Temple Mount platform, and they were pouring uh, water into these vessels. It was just a ritual they had going on. So water's everywhere, and it, it is in that context, Jesus being the master teacher is standing up there, and, you know, they could all be ankle deep in water, uh, or at least splashing through water puddles. And, uh, and Jesus says in John 7, verse 37, now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his inmost, innermost being will flow rivers of living, living water. But John adds, but this he spoke of the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So, And that would take place in Acts chapters 1 and 2. And so anyway, you have the Passover and uh, you have the Sabbath, the Passover, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles in John 7. And then the dedication here in John 10 and what Jesus is fulfilling there, though it's not a feast of God, uh, he shows throughout John's gospel. Jesus teaches that he is the one God dedicated and sent into the world. Then in John 10, verse 34, look at it or listen to it. The Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And, uh, Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name. These testify about me. Okay, you don't believe. I mean, he's already done. He's already performed critical works that only God could do, right? Some certain things could only be done by the hand of God. Nicodemus, the top rabbi of the nation, uh, of the city, uh, recognized that in John chapter 3. When he comes to Jesus says, Rabbi, we know you're come from God because no one can do the things you do unless God sent him. Okay. Uh, so the recognition was already there by some. Uh, Jesus says, I told you, and you do not, uh, you did not believe. Now, he did uh, give this clear assertion to the woman in the well at John 4. Evidently, he had given it to these people uh, and they understood it. Again, John uh, 3, Nicodemus is an evidence of one who could have. Uh, should have understood it, um, but they're questioning him about their, uh, I'm sorry, they they are rejecting the works and the teachings of Jesus. That's why he says, you do not believe. You just don't believe. So Jesus had already in John mentioned the works or the witnesses that he had, uh, that he had uh, provided. Uh, that demonstrated who he was. Uh, Norman Geisler had written an essay years ago in a book titled Vital Apologetics, edited by Roy Zuck, I think it was. And he talks about testimony in John, how the, the, the witnesses or the testimony in John uh, points to who Christ is. And uh, Geisler mentioned that John's apologetic in his gospel involves a testimony, an eyewitness testimony, a testimony to the supernatural, a confirmed testimony, a sworn testimony, a sealed testimony, and a last will and testament testimony, an apostolic testimony, and a verdict demanding testimony. And uh, Geisler finds that the purpose of apologetics for John is to give evidence of the truth, bring glory to God, and bring individuals to Christ. So Jesus refers here in John's gospel to his works. His works. Back in chapter 5, 
Jesus talked about witnesses to the works he had performed that already demonstrated who he was and is. He mentions the witness of John the Baptist back in 533. And in fact, John the Baptist himself had sent his followers, his disciples to Jesus at uh, one point to ask him if he was the expected one, uh, the, the, the Messiah, the Savior that they were expecting as Jews. And in Luke 7, verse 20, Jesus says, um, John the Baptist asked, uh, are you the expecting one? They asked Jesus. Jesus said, that, uh, go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, then the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blesses he who does not take offense at me. And then back in John 7, uh, other witnesses were Jesus's works, the witness of the Father and the witness of the Scripture. Uh, when he quotes, uh, and the witness of the Scripture, John five verse thirty nine. You you search you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me, which Jesus had done this already. Again, uh, bringing up Nicodemus's name again back in John three, the whole discussion there pivoted around Jesus' analogy. Well, his heading to the cross, his cross work, his message was heading there in his discussion with Nicodemus. So it comes down to, you know, that famous verse at John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Well, back up in the verse, couple verses leading to that, Jesus took Nicodemus back to his own Torah, Numbers 21, and the uh, bronze serpent being raised up on the cross. And he says, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever believes on him will not perish and so forth. Uh, that sort of thing, okay? So Jesus said then, I told you uh, uh, the works that I do, uh, these testify of me, okay? And then uh, verse 27 is uh, interesting. I'm sorry, verse 26, I told you and you do not believe. In verse 26, but you do not believe. Because you are not of my sheep. Now the you there is emphatic, uh, so you see it becomes it comes at the beginning of the sentence. A contrast between I and you. I showed you works, but you you do not believe, because you are not of my sheep. Now this actually indicted them, not uh, gave them an excuse, uh, as D. A. Carson brings out in his commentary on John, verse twenty-seven. Listen to my voice. They hear me. My sheep hear my voice. It is true of sheep that they have voice recognition, by the way. They would not drive their sheep from behind, uh, you know, with four-wheelers or gators or things that are horses even that modern uh, shepherds do. They led them. In fact, uh, visiting Bethlehem some years ago, I saw a young shepherd boy crossing a busy highway with a flock of sheep running right behind him. Uh, very young uh, kid, he looked like, but these sheep uh, were following right behind him. Uh, sheep uh, recognized the shepherd's voice. I do commend to you a great devotional read that discusses sheep, really out of Psalm 23. It's called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23 by Philip Keller. Um, John chapter 10 actually is the Psalm 23 of of the New Testament. There's so many connections there. Jesus is the good shepherd. He has said earlier in this chapter, 
we're not even covering in this particular study, uh, but it's there. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. They follow me. What does it mean to follow Jesus Christ? It means to learn of him. Matthew eleven twenty eight. That's Jesus' invitation. I read. Uh, I read that led me to personal faith in Jesus Christ. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon me, upon you, and learn of me. Right. A disciple, a follower of Christ, is a learner. They believe on him as uh, their Lord and Savior, the only Savior for mankind, and they follow him. They learn of him and uh, seek to become more like Christ and learn his word and so forth. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I do commend to you as well. A classic by now is John MacArthur's book, I do commend to you John MacArthur's book, which is a classic now, The Gospel According to Jesus. He demonstrates through scripture after scripture after scripture what it means to follow Christ. But Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them and they follow me. So Christ's sheep are going to hear his voice in the word of God and in preaching of the word of God and, and understand and follow God's word as their, their authority because uh, they love him. They, they want to follow him. Uh, verse 28, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. I give to them eternal life, and they will never perish. Never, ever perish. A couple things here, eternal life. Eternal means it's just that, eternal. It is forever. Eternal life, a few things about that word, uh, that phrase, that term, that concept. Eternal life is just that. It's eternal. Okay, so therefore, it's not revocable. It's not temporary. It's eternal. It's forever. When you come to faith in Christ, you're sealed and saved forever. Have a forever home with God. In John 17, 3, Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the true God, in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So eternal life is also a quality. It's knowing God uh, personally. Um, it is eternal life that I give, Jesus said. He gave it to you. It's a gift, right? That aligns also with the doctrine of salvation uh, by faith alone through grace alone, Ephesians 2.8. Um, it is the gift of God, Ephesians 2.8 through 10 there. It's a great passage of scripture to consider. And then, um, look, uh, eternal life. Uh, it affects the here and now, by the way. Let me add uh, that uh, again, back to the Ephesians 2.8. Uh, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works or for the purpose of good works. The relationship of good works to salvation is that good works or good deeds are resultative, not causative. Not causative. We're saved by uh, faith alone. Okay. Uh, I give to them eternal life. And by the way, my known destiny, if I have eternal life as something now, it's a sealed deal. My known destiny in the future influences my behavior now. And that works for the non-believer and the believer. Just uh, seems to work that way, right? I give to them eternal life. Now, interestingly, in the text here, 
uh, they will never, ever perish. Ume apolontai. And that word, by the way, um, so there's a double negative here uh, in the Koine Greek. Ume. Now, in modern English, a double negative cancels the negation. But uh, in Koine Greek, uh, in this era of Greek, uh, the Greek language, a double negative was the strongest way to assert something positively. They will never, ever perish. In fact, the Amplified Bible and what it does, it has a problem of what D.A. Carson calls him in his book, uh, Exegetical Fallacies, which, which is a book worth its weight in gold. And every interpreter of scripture ought to read it at least once. Uh, it's called Illegitimate Totality Transfer. And the Amplified Bible is guilty of that. Uh, though it has some good things in it, so so it says uh, uh, what it does is take the Greek word and give you all the meanings of that word uh, from the Greek. So if the Greek word is polis, city, it'll say city, village, town, whatever. So, uh, But anyway, here what it says, uh, they shall never lose it or perish throughout the ages to all eternity. They shall never by any means be destroyed. I like that. And that does demonstrate uh, what Jesus is uh, speaking here. By the way, this a word apolontai, uh, apolumi. This is the same word used back in John three sixteen. They shall never perish. Okay, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. Okay, and by the way, uh, my sheep, my sheep, those who follow Jesus Christ. This is for those who follow Him. So this is not universalistic. Okay. Salvation is not universalistic. Universalism is not a Christian teaching. It is not a biblical teaching, not whatsoever. And also, uh, might I say, uh, this is an issue of um, uh, eternal security. Uh, he says, no one shall snatch them. The Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of uh, the Father's hands. No one can snatch them from the hand of him who protects them, who keeps them, who has sealed them. Okay, this is eternal security, the doctrine of eternal security. Perseverance of the saints, it's called by some. Preservation of the saints, it's called by some. Now, some people immediately um, uh, scoff at that. I will read you from William McDonald's commentary, the Believer's Bible Commentaries of the Brethren denomination. He says, does this mean then that a person may be saved and then live the way he pleases? Can he be saved and then carry on in the sinful pleasures of this world? No. He no longer desires to do those things. He wants to follow the shepherd. We do not live the Christian life in order to become a Christian or in order to retain our salvation. We live a Christian life because we are Christians. Emphasis original. We are Christians. We desire to live a holy life not out of fear of losing our salvation, but out of gratitude to the one who died for us. The doctrine of eternal security does not encourage careless living, but rather is a strong motive for holy living. And again, this is the strongest uh, section in the New Testament. To um, This is the strongest passage in the New Testament to point out uh, eternal security. Once saved, always saved, if you want to say it that way. Now, sure, people abuse that just like they do every single other single doctrine in the entire Bible, but that doesn't make the doctrine wrong. Jesus teaches it right here. It's very, very clear. Ume, they will never, ever perish. Oh, what if I sin or or what if I cuss or 
What if I commit this awful crime or felon? What if I do this? What if I do that? They will never, ever perish. Besides that, every sin you will ever commit in your life, were all, the, all those sins were future when Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago. They, those who follow me, believe in me, will never, ever perish. Ever. It's a great, that's a great comfort to believers. And going back to William McDonald's comments, we live for him because we love him. This is a motive to strong Christian living. I belong to the king, right? I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are a believer. Finally, John 10, verse 30, I and the Father are one. I and the Father are able to do the same deeds. Jesus has been teaching this throughout uh, John's gospel. I and the Father are one. This is a functional unity wherein the Father, God the Father and God the Son both function to keep the sheep safe. It's also an ontological unity. Uh, God the Son, Jesus Christ, God the Son, the second person of the triune Godhead, one in essence, right? So there's an ontological unity. There's a functional unity and an ontological unity here in this uh, passage of Scripture, I and the Father are one. Uh, this ontological issue is the case because that's the entire point of John uh, 1, 1, uh, John 1, verse 1. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The entire prologue, the first 18 verses, John 1, 1, and then verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the incarnation of the God who, who the word was. And then in verse 18, the only begotten son who uh, is in the bosom of the father, however your English Bible uh, translate that, he has exegeted him, declared him. He has shown us who God was. No man can see God, so God came to earth in human flesh, Philippians 2 uh, and elsewhere. Uh, also, this is part of John's purpose for giving the seven or eight signs. He says, of all the signs or miracles Jesus performed, I've included only these because these demonstrate most clearly for him uh, how we can see that uh, Jesus was the promised Savior, God in the flesh. And also, this is the purpose of the I am statements, the seven or eight I am statements. They also demonstrate who Christ was. I am the resurrection of the life. And then there's the absolute I am in John 8, 58. Before Abraham was born, whatever, 1,500 years ago, I currently exist. Ego a me, I am, right? And uh, the Jews understood it there. They understood it here that Jesus was claiming to be God. That's why they picked up stones to execute him in proper Jewish fashion, right in the streets, public stoning. So, yes. Jesus claimed to be God more than once. Absolutely. Uh, this is also part of the purpose of this is, is the is the purpose of John's gospel. He says as much in John 20, verse 30 and 31. These things have been included so that you might believe that Jesus is Christ, Son of the Living God. He dealt with that same topic over in his letter, uh, the Johannine letter of. First John, way over near the end of the New Testament, where he dealt with the subdoctrine of uh, Gnosticism called Serenthianism. Those who uh, uh, those who deny that Jesus Christ has come down here in the flesh, right? You you stay away from them. That's a false doctrine. And so John's entire point is to demonstrate that uh, Jesus is God who has come to us in the flesh. So for that reason, John ten. 
really is part of the Christmas story, if you will. And also for the reason that, well, I read it from the book of Second Maccabees, uh, chapter 10, that uh, Hanukkah is to be celebrated and is celebrated each year on the 25th of the month of Kislev. Now, the Jewish calendar runs about roughly half of our months into the half of the next, so that Hanukkah then is usually about the second week of December each year. So right around the time people are decorating for Christmas with all of their beautiful lights, Jewish, uh, those who are observant Jews would decor- be decorating their homes with beautiful lights. But the cool thing is Jesus is the light of the world, and Christmas is a season of lights, and for good reason. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Do you know him today? So again, John 10, just a few verses we looked at, 22 through 30, are a very important passage of Scripture. They really deal with Christmas, if you will, with Hanukkah and the purpose of Christ coming to earth and so forth. Uh, They deal with Hanukkah. There's this confrontation, uh, yet another one between Jesus and the Pharisees, uh, what it means to be a disciple, the shepherd's sheep analogy, the eternal security of the believer, and the deity of Jesus, all uh, packaged, uh, compact there in those uh, several verses in John. If you would take just a minute uh, longer to listen to me, um, I need your help uh, with my podcast. I really need you to uh, share it, share it to all of your uh, social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, especially uh, Facebook and Instagram, uh, if you don't mind. If you like the content I'm doing, uh, what I'm trying to do here, if you would share it, that would be great. If you'd also take uh, half a minute, you know, to subscribe, subscribe and share. That would just be a great uh, help uh, for me to get this uh, podcast ministry uh, up and going and teaching the Bible and uh, pushing out uh, biblical teaching uh, to uh, the ends of the earth. As I say, my purpose is to bring little uh, biblical literacy to the podcasting world and to the ends of the earth. And I'm going to do that by t- teaching the Bible and, um, Uh, defending biblical Christianity and discussing the Bible's relevance to culture. So if you're all for that and you want to help me, please take half a minute to share to all your social media and to uh, subscribe to the channel here at The Bible Professor. Okay, be blessed. Bye-bye. Thank you.